us to get started tonight. We're missing a few. Uh, some are sick. Some are getting back in town from CYC, making their way in, but we're glad you're here. So if everybody will come in and have a seat, we can get started. All right. Okay. How many, how many plants are on me? How many? Ten. Ten. What 
that everybody's here tonight. I know there's several here that are just drooping. They're, they've just about had it. They've been at CYC all weekend, didn't get much sleep, and drove all the way home today, and they're just tired and exhausted. Right, Lawson? Yeah, they just can't hardly hold their heads open. But they're here. That's what counts, right? So we're glad y'all are back, and we're glad that our group is back safely. Uh, everything that I've seen about the weekend uh, proves that it was a very good weekend and we are looking forward to hearing more about that and we're glad that our youth and others get the opportunity to go to such an event and benefit spiritually. We want to welcome you to our services tonight. If you're visiting with us, please know that you are our honored guest and we want you to come back and worship with us anytime you have an opportunity. Our worship service on Sunday morning is at 930. Of course, tonight is our five o'clock classes, and then on Wednesday night at seven. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that. As far as announcements go, the only one that I have tonight really is the Golden Circle Breakfast. Uh, we'll be leaving in the morning uh, from the annex at 8.30 to go to the pit stop. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love for you to come and join us. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. So before we dismiss the class or let the teachers go to class with our song, let's bow in prayer. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are indeed grateful and thankful to you for all the many good things you do for us each day. Father, our minds are focused right now on many that are sick, that are in need of prayer. Several were mentioned this morning. We pray especially for Brother Eddie Mooney as he uh, goes to Oxford uh, this week and has surgery. Uh, we pray that the, thing, the things will go well there and that the doctors and nurses will do the things necessary to uh, make the procedure go as smoothly as possible, and we pray for Brother Eddie's recovery. Others have been mentioned as well, Father, that are, are very sick, that need our prayers. We pray that you would strengthen them, and the care that's being given to them will be such so that they can be restored to their health. And Father, for those that have lost loved ones, we ask that you continue to help them and strengthen them as they grieve. Please bless them and comfort them, Father. We ask your continued blessings upon the church here. We're thankful for the safe return for the many that went to the Challenge Youth Conference in Pigeon Forge. We're thankful for the spiritual feast that they enjoyed and the fellowship that they benefited from, Father. And we're so thankful they're back here safely with us. Father, as we go to our Bible classes today, may we... May we listen and learn and try to apply some things to our lives that will make us more faithful in serving you each day. In your son's name that we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to lead the song as our teachers go to class. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way.
I meant to put something on the back of this sheet for you tonight, but I just totally forgot it. So I apologize. Yep, maybe. <clears throat> you know, passing these things out, Luther, would be good rehab for your shoulder, wouldn't it? You know? They say uh, mopping and vacuuming is good for rehab for shoulders, too. Yeah, you can. Yeah. All right. I want to thank you all for being here tonight. As I stated, uh, the three previous lessons have been on worship itself, what worship is, how we need to take our worship to God more seriously than we do sometimes. It's not something to be taken lightly. And of course, the main thrust of this lesson is to get to what we do in worship and why we do what we do. And we're going to talk about why we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week and why we don't do that just two or three times a year like most religious people do. We're going to talk about why we don't use instrumental music in worship. It has nothing to do with the fact that we don't like music. It has nothing to do with the fact that we ain't got anybody that can play any kind of instruments. It has nothing to do with that. We're going to talk about why we uh, pray in worship and, and why we sing and and other such things. And we're going to get to those, but but the pertinent topic for us tonight is this. Establishing Bible authority. How do I establish Bible authority? Uh, I want to mention that our lesson uh, in here tonight is one that's very basic. Uh, one that I hope will be uh, one that you will relate to and that you'll find easy to follow. You know, if we just carefully today observe the Lord's church, we can see a trend, 
I think, among a lot of individuals to go beyond what's actually been written. Uh, what God has said in his word and with a lot of our brethren really is not sufficient. It's not enough. Many want to go beyond what God's word has actually said. They want to engage in practices that are not authorized in God's word. And the reason is there's some brethren that want to do certain things and engage in certain activities and, and try to find ways to justify those activities. There's an emphasis today on being politically correct or, you know, appeasing other people. Or, you know, we don't want to be different from those round about us. I think we have the same syndrome that took place over in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You'll recall after the period of the judges, those people cried out, give us a king. Why did they want a king? Y'all remember? All right, give us a king that we might be like the nations round about us. Now, I realize that in days past and gone and several decades ago, we were very distinctive in our message. But nowadays, it's fairly common, more common than we would like to think. You could go to a church of Christ somewhere and you could stay there for a long period of time. You probably could hear lessons that could be taught just about in any denominational church without repercussion. And so I think we've gotten away from the distinctive nature of the church. Basic Bible preaching and teaching on things that need to be taught if we're going to be the distinct people that God wants us to be. For example, uh, in days past and gone, uh, over the past few decades, past few years, the unity movements we've heard a lot about, where efforts are made to try to restore fellowship between what is called Churches of Christ and Christian churches. Now, back in 1906, when the census was taken back then, that's when this division between Churches of Christ and the Christian church movement was seen as being in existence, as being official. Uh, there were those that wanted to add the instrument to our worship, and uh, there was a disagreement over how the Bible authorizes itself in that way. And there was a, a strong division that uh, was obvious that took place in 1906. Since then, uh, mostly Christian churches have declined in number, while those in churches of Christ grew in number. In fact, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, churches of Christ were the fastest growing religious movement uh, in our nation today. And there's a reason for that. You know, we were distinctive in our message. There are those that might say maybe we were somewhat harsh and there's no need, there's no room for harshness and unkindness and ever presenting the truth. We don't need to be unkind and rude and harsh and ugly uh, when we present the truth. We're to preach the truth, but we are to do that in love. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things going on uh, in our culture today 
to try to get us to kind of fit in with what's going on round about us. Or there's the idea of desiring to grant women places of responsibility where they would actually uh, usurp authority over men in a public way. And uh, it's not my purpose into this, in this class to discuss women's role in the church. That's not what I'm going to be dealing with here, but I'll simply say this. The Bible designates spiritual roles for men and women. And uh, submission does not in any way mean inferiority. And that's the big thing in the world today. If you submit to somebody, you're said to be inferior, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Was Jesus equal with God? True, or yes or no? Jesus submitted to his Father, right? Was Jesus inferior to his Father? No. So the idea of submission does not mean inferiority, but because of what's going on in our culture and because of a desire to blend in, you have some churches of Christ today who have gone so far as to establish women as being elders and even preachers uh, of the word. Now, my sister is a little girl. When we played church, she's probably one of the best preachers I ever heard. I mean, she could bring it, you know. I was out in the audience, and she was on the fireplace, and she could flat bring it, you know. But, you know, we get older. We know our roles. We know what we need to do. Men are to be the spiritual leaders, and that's one thing that's wrong with our homes today. Uh, men have been too quiet. Men have not stepped up and assumed the leadership roles that God wants them to assume in the home. And uh, Satan has hit that perfectly, hadn't he? And homes are deteriorating. And for the first time in our nation's history, uh, the home with a, a husband and a wife and children are now in the minority. Uh, you know, whoever, who would have ever thought that we would have gotten to that place? But a lot of churches today, uh, they, they, they don't want to be different. And they want to allow women to take on a role that God never meant for them to take. You know, that's not a cultural thing. If you look at the, at the scriptures that deal with uh, men taking on leadership roles, the reason doesn't go back to culture. It goes back to the law of creation, all the way back to the beginning. Uh, that's why these roles exist today. It has nothing to do with culture. It has to do with how God wants us to assume the roles that we must have in the church today. Let me say this. There's a lot of churches today that want to allow women to assume leadership roles and they can do anything that men can do except for being elders and preachers. Now, I would say that a church that does that is a hypocritical church. I mean, if we're going to allow women to have the leadership roles, you're, you're wrong if you don't allow them to be elders and preachers, if, if you're just going to allow them to do everything else but that, you see. Uh, to me, that's just as hypocritical as it can possibly be. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of pressure today uh, to change. And uh, I'll, I'll reflect on this in just a minute, maybe. Uh, also, uh, there's an entire new approach that has been underway over the last few decades uh, that we might call uh, the new hermeneutic. It's an approach developed to try to justify actions like uh, these and others. You know, the, the New Testament 
is not a pattern for us to follow today. People uh, are against pattern theology. And so the Bible doesn't provide for us a, a pattern to follow today. Uh, it used to be that those in the Lord's church were referred to as gopher woods. You know what that means, don't you? Y'all know what a gopher wood is? You were called a gopher wood if you believed that when God said for Noah to build an ark out of gopher wood, that's what he said and that's what he meant. He meant nothing else, right? And so that was kind of a sarcastic name to call members of the church who believe we ought to do things in Bible ways and call things by Bible names. And so uh, we, may, we may talk about that later on. Of course, just look at the religious world in general today. You think about, and it's in the news, I'm not talking about anything that you don't know about, the United Methodist Church, the great division that's taking place, almost 7,000 churches have split from the United Methodist Church organization. And uh, the reason that's being done is because of the pressure from culture and society to justify things like same-sex marriage and homosexuality and the ordaining of not only women but those who are homosexuals and lesbians into the clergy of those churches. And I'm glad there's at least some line to be drawn there. But you see, one aspect about the church that we fail to recognize is that each church is autonomous, right? If the church down the road goes haywire, does that mean we're going to go haywire? No. You know, we're autonomous. We're different. There's no higher authority on the earth than the eldership in the local church. Of course, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But in the local church, the highest authority there is are the elders of the church. And, and we cannot uh, in any way compromise that autonomy. Uh, and that's why you have those that have left the United Methodist Church forming another group called the Free Methodists. And again, they are a group, right? And if they, if they decide on something that's unbiblical, all the churches are going to go right along with it, right? Because they're a part of the group. They're a part of the convention. Uh, the same thing is true uh, as we see in the news uh, at least every other week about the split in the Southern Baptist Convention. You see, they come together and they decide the rules and the regulations for all of our churches. This is what we're going to teach and this is what we're going to practice. And uh, they're having divisions over that today because some just blatantly want to get away from what the Bible teaches. And that's going to continue. But you see God's wisdom in making the church autonomous, right? You know, if one church goes ballistic out here and does some things that are wrong... It's not necessarily going to impact other churches, right? Because each church is under the local eldership. And I think we've seen younger people today. And I think especially is this true among our young people, the need to reaffirm how to establish Bible authority. I'll tell you something that I've observed and I've seen firsthand in several places. There are young people that are growing up in the Lord's church and they have absolutely no clue at all about the distinctive nature of the Lord's church. To them and what they're taught and the way they're brought up, even in the church, you know, the church of Christ is just 
another denominational church like all the rest. And, you know, each one is for you to choose what you want to be ultimately. And uh, I've even seen uh, family members of these church leaders in these churches just leave the church completely and go off into all kinds of different faiths and practices uh, religiously. And that's sad to me. It's sad that we have a generation of young people that don't have a clue about the distinctive nature of the church. That Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, he established his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He gave himself for it. He purchased the church with his own blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. So the church is important, right? Uh, the church is something that needs to be emphasized. And I think especially among young people today, if we're not really careful, we've already lost a generation along the way, we can lose another one if we don't teach what the Bible says. Somebody made the true statement one time, if we fail to teach what the Bible says on any issue over a period of time, it will arise to haunt us again. In other words, like if we were to fail to preach and teach on why we don't use instrumental music in worship, then eventually that's going to creep back into the church. Now, I know a lot of churches, and you'll be surprised how many do this. You know, they, 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 they in their worship services, they, they sing a cappella, right? Most of the time. But in their youth group, in their youth outings, they have bands, praise bands, right? And so these youth... They have their own praise bands and they go off to these so-called conventions, you know, that aren't what our young people go to, thankfully. And they have these gigantic praise bands. You know, it's all emotion. It's all music. It's entertainment driven. Now, what happens when those young people grow up and they leave the youth group and they come to the auditorium? What are they going to want? They're going to want the same thing. And so if we don't preach and teach on it, it's going to haunt us uh, down the road. And so all of us need to cultivate a greater respect for what the Bible says and be willing to do exactly what the Bible says. And that's why I want to talk about how to establish Bible authority. I hope we can accomplish this in two lessons before we get more specific. Now, some of the things that I'm going to say tonight, and I encourage you to speak up. If you've got questions, things aren't, aren't clear like you wanted to be, please speak up. Raise your hand. You can ask any question in here that you want to ask. You can't ask a bad question to me, okay? Uh, unless it's something personal, but anyhow. Uh, but you can ask any question you want to ask, and I want you to feel comfortable asking that. And so this may not be some of the most interesting things that you've ever heard, but I believe it's some of the most important things that we could ever hear. And I hope you'll try to listen carefully to the things that we're going to say well, I think my battery's out here, but that's fine. All right, I hope you listen to think carefully to the things we're going to say uh, because they may pass you by without you really getting the things that are said. Now, I want to point out, first of all, if we're going to properly establish Bible authority, we need to realize that everything we do religiously needs to be done in the name of and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, y'all answer me this. What's the key verse of authority in all the Bible? Huh? 
Okay, Colossians 3.16. That's all right, you got the, you got you close. If you didn't say something, that's gonna make you sing it, you know. That's why I, I want these young people to know what the key verse of authority is. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord. That means whatever you teach, whatever you practice religiously, you do it by the authority of Jesus Christ. We look at an example in Acts 4 and verse 7. When they had sat them in the midst, they asked, talking to the apostles here, by what power, by what name have you done this? What are they wanting to know? Where'd you get your authority to do these things? Where do you get your authority to teach these things? And so we as Christians need to try to do all that we do in the name of Jesus Christ. If a police officer says, you know, stop in the name of the law, what does he mean by that? You stop because I have authority, right? You stop in the name of the law. Well, the same principle applies today religiously. What we do and what we practice needs to be done in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 says that we walk by faith. We walk by faith. Now, how in the world can I walk by faith? How can I possibly have faith and walk by faith? Well, look at the Bible in Romans 10 and verse 17. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how I walk by faith. I walk in accordance to what the Bible says. And therefore, a Christian today must endeavor to walk and to live and to conduct himself according to what the Bible says. We must walk by faith, which means walking according to the word of God. Do you have your hand up? I should have excluded you from that comment. I'm just kidding. Go. That's all right. I'm just, I'm just, go ahead. Okay. That's hard. Well, you know, were you here for the last three lessons? What, tell me, tell you what? Well, you don't necessarily have to have the five acts of worship to worship. Remember, we talked about what the Bible says, whether it's in a public assembly or even in a private setting, you know, God's rules for worship apply the same. And to worship, it requires the intent, right? Worship is intentional. If my heart's not in it, if I don't intend to worship, I'm not worshiping, even if I'm in the assembly. I don't know what's what you're getting at. I'm... Okay. All right. All right. Mm 
Do If you're worshiping, it would. Well, whenever you intention, whenever the intent is there, you're worshiping. I can worship God in my house by myself. I think you can sing songs religiously for entertainment and for uplift or, you know, you don't necessarily, you can sing religious songs without worshiping. Otherwise, you couldn't whistle a religious song if you're walking down the aisle or, you know, walking around somewhere and you decide to whistle a religious song. I mean, just because something is tied to uh, religion doesn't necessarily mean it's worship. Do what? Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, all right, we're getting after it over there. All right, can I go on now? Okay, good, all right. So, getting back to what I was talking about here, uh, unless we can do something because the Bible says to do it, then we need to realize that we're not going to be pleasing to God. And therefore, a Christian must endeavor to walk by faith and to live by faith and to conduct ourselves according to what the Bible says. We walk by faith, that comes by the word of God. Now the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now unless we can do things because the Bible says to do them, and unless we can let the Bible direct us in all matters of religion and do it by faith, then the Bible says we cannot please God. Those that come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Therefore, everything that uh, we do must be done in the name of the Lord, by his authority, by his word, or else we can have no faith. Now, there's a lot of people that are not willing to start there. That's not going to have any bearing on them. They don't believe we have a pattern to follow. They don't believe that there's any... Uh, structure for our worship today according to the Bible. We can do things as we please and we can worship basically as we please. That's the thinking that a lot of people sadly have today. And so uh, we need though to endeavor to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. So that's the first point. That's the foundation. Everything that I do must be done in the name of and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the second place, I want to point out that for us to establish Bible authority, obviously all commands and examples in the Bible do not apply to us today. All commands and examples in the Bible do not apply to us today. Think about some examples from the Old Testament. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, Abel offered a sacrifice to God that was well-pleasing. Now, are we to go out and are we to offer a sacrifice to God that's well-pleasing? Or in Genesis 6 and verse 14, we find that Noah was commanded to build an ark. Now, do we need to go out? Do we need to build an ark as well? No, that's not for us. In Genesis 12, Abraham built an altar 
and called on the name of the Lord. Do we today need to go out and build an altar like Abraham and call on the name of the Lord? Or in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 40, uh, Moses was told to go build a tabernacle according to the pattern that has been shown you in the mountain. Now, are we today to go out and build that same kind of tabernacle to worship God? And then you think about the book of Leviticus. It points out how that the Israelites approached the God of heaven through the priest of Levi. Let me ask you, do we today have to go through the priest of Levi in order to approach God? No. That's been done away with. Our high priest is in heaven, right? Our high priest is Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16, we read that all male Jews had to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship. Have you got your passports up to date? Do we still have to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship? Or in Psalms chapter 150, David commanded instrumental music. Does that still apply to us today? Or in Genesis 4 and verse 19, we read about the example of polygamy. And I don't know how anybody with any sense could deal with more than one wife. Do you? You know, I, I just don't know. I don't have an explanation for how that even came into existence to start with, right? You know, but evidently God approved that, you know. Uh, can we today have more than one wife? You know, of course not. You know, I'd never would get the controller, TV controller back if that were true. Can you imagine? You know, one wife would want to watch HGTV all the time with my luck. The other one wouldn't even like sports either, you know. So I, I'd, I'd just be out of luck on that. Or in Jeremiah 17, verse 26, they offered animal sacrifices and burned incense. Uh, could we today be right in burning incense in worship? You see, obviously, these are commands that are found in the Old Testament, and they were given to a particular person for a particular purpose. They don't apply to us today. And then think about the New Testament. Do all New Testament commands apply to us today? Well, the answer is definitely not. For example, the Bible says, Jesus speaking in Matthew 21 and verse 2, he said, you go into the village and you find a colt tied. That's a commandment from Jesus. Now, are we today to go into a town or a village and find a colt that's tied? Or in Luke 24 and verse 49, the Lord said to those apostles, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Are we to do that? No. Now we might go to Jerusalem, but I tell you one thing, uh, we're not going to be endued with power from on high because that applied to the Lord's apostles previous to the establishment of the Lord's church. Or in John eleven forty four, the Bible says, Jesus speaking here, loose him and let him go. Does that apply to us today? Well, certainly not. That applied to dead Lazarus who had been dead for four days. Or in John 14, verse 16, uh, Jesus said, go call your husband. That's a command. Does that apply today? Well, obviously not. That was said to a Samaritan woman who had seven husbands, and she was told by the Lord to go call her husband. 
Or, think about this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the churches. Does that apply to us today? Well, definitely not, because that referred to a, an assembly where special gifts that are not in existence today were being exercised, and we do not have assemblies today where these spiritual gifts are being exercised. These are, these are commands in the New Testament, but just because they're commands in the New Testament, it's obvious that not every command in the Bible applies to us today, and I think we can see that rather easily. Now, we're building on this. In third place, though, for us to establish Bible authority, there's some basic distinctions that simply must be made. There are some distinctions that we have to understand. We need to rightly divide the Word of God. Am I hearing voices? I try to tell those voices to quit sometimes, but they keep on. But anyhow. All right. I only listen to the voices that tell my wife what to tell me to do. That's really, that's really the only thing time I, I listen to them. But anyhow, uh, to rightly divide the Word of God, I, I've got to use some common sense, first of all. Common sense is important, even in Bible uh, interpretation. I need to use good judgment and Bible knowledge about other subjects in order to properly establish Bible authority. And to establish Bible authority, I need to be able to distinguish, first of all, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's a distinction that is not made oftentimes in the uh, religious and denominational world. But there are two different testaments. For example, in Matthew 26 and verse 28, Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Or in Hebrews 9 and verse 15, the Bible says, And for this cause, he, Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, and that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Or in Hebrews 9 and verse 16, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Now the Bible says very plainly that Jesus Christ is the mediator of the New Testament and not the Old Testament. Now when we think about the word testament, we're simply thinking about the will of God. I don't know how many of y'all have a will. I'm sure several of you do, right? You have a will. And while you're alive, you can change that will any way you want to. You know, Jesus forgave sins while he was upon this earth, right? The Son of God has power to forgive sins on the earth. While he was walking on this earth, he could forgive any sin to anybody that he chose to. But once he died, his will went into effect. In other words, you may have a will, and as long as you're alive, you can change that will to include or exclude anybody you want to. But once you die, what happens? That will goes into effect. And now we're under the will 
of Jesus Christ, the new covenant that he purchased with his own blood. He gave his blood to bring the New Testament into existence. It's sealed with his blood. Therefore, we have to do what his will says in order to be saved. Somebody said, well, I, I want to be saved just like that thief on the cross was saved. Well, that's, that, that can't happen anymore. That was under the old law. Jesus, while he was alive, could forgive sins any way he chose, right? And some people say, well, he forgave the thief on the cross without baptism. That's another subject. I think you can prove or imply that that thief was baptized at some point and maybe became unfaithful later on. You know, they said many went out of John to be baptized. Who's to say that that thief wasn't baptized? But that's not the point. Point is, while Jesus was alive, he had power to forgive sins any way that he chose.